Ebola is a viral disease uh, caused by the Ebola virus, which uh, results in an acute illness uh, that is usually severe and life-threatening and often results to death in 50 to 90% of cases. Welcome back to Africa Science Focus, the weekly science and development show from SciDevNet. I am Ogechi Ikeanyao. That was Professor Dimie Ogoina, the president of the Nigerian Infectious Disease Society, telling us about the Ebola virus disease, which causes fever, severe bleeding, and organ shutdown. With such severe symptoms, the virus often results in death. Between 2014 and 2016, there was a large outbreak of Ebola in West Africa, and that killed over 11,000 people. It started in Guinea. At the time, the World Health Organization declared the outbreak a public health emergency of international concern because of the risk of international spread. The disease did spread to more countries across the world that mostly contained the virus. But Liberia and Sierra Leone, countries bordering Guinea, struggled to contain the disease and experienced major loss of lives in what was the largest outbreak in history. Since September, Uganda has been battling a new outbreak of the Sudan strain of the virus. This strain does not yet have a vaccine. Our reporter, Michael Kaloki, has been speaking to Dr. Patrick Otim, a health emergency officer in the Acute Events Management Unit at the World Health Organization Regional Office for Africa. Dr. Otim has been telling us about the current outbreak situations in Uganda. Um, as of the information available from authorities in Uganda and shared with us in the last uh, 24 hours, there were three new confirmed cases. That brings the number of confirmed cases to 41. Uh, there was one new death. Um, cumulatively, there have been nine confirmed deaths. However, there is progress being made in terms of the provision of care for the confirmed cases. So in the last 24 hours, we had two cases recovering. That brings the number of recoveries to four. Um, one new district was affected, and uh, now we have a total of five districts that have been uh, that have had a confirmed case reported from, and uh, cumulatively, uh, seven hundred and ninety-five contacts are being followed up, who have been listed uh, in the course of the investigation over the last uh, uh, two weeks. For the current Ebola outbreak, we are managing it according to the principles that we have used. In previous outbreaks where we didn't have vaccine or we didn't have any uh, therapeutic agent. And there are really five cardinal pillars. The first pillar is to ensure that we identify the cases quickly. So having a very effective surveillance system that has in, in it good case investigation and contact tracing. That is uh, a pillar that has been really scaled up in the last two weeks to try to ensure that all the cases are identified and their contacts are listed and they are followed up. The second pillar then is in terms of case management. So ensuring that all the cases that are identified are quickly uh, taken to treatment center and they are given the adequate supportive care that they need so that they can be able to, to survive. The third, which is very, very important, which underpins all the pillars of this response, is the community engagement, because the community is central to 
uh, the interventions to control an Ebola outbreak. So sitting with the community leaders, answering their questions, guiding them in terms of prevention measures at the community level, passing messages on how they can protect themselves, avoiding large gatherings, uh, avoiding participating in, in burials of people who have died, died with symptoms of suggestive of Ebola, and practicing hand washing, and maintaining distances in the context of, of gathering. So those are interventions that are critical uh, to ensure that we interrupt transmission at the community level. Then the third, uh, the third pillar, the fourth pillar really is infection prevention and control. This is a very highly transmissible disease. It can pass from one person to the other. So we work with health facilities in the two categories, those that are seeing cases, the treatment centers, and those where routine care is being provided. So they are being supported to ensure that there is triage, there is adequate hand washing facilities so that uh, normal care can be provided uh, without exposing the patients who are coming to the health facilities to any additional risk. But also then in the treatment centers, ensuring that the healthcare workers are adequately protected so that they do not catch any, any, any infection. So in, uh, infection prevention and control is the fourth and very critical pillar. And then the fifth and last one is in terms of coordination, bringing all these aspects together to ensure that the teams that are responding on ground, they have all the tools that they need to be able to respond effectively. They have all the resources to, to, to conduct investigation, to deploy uh, and set up treatment centers in very short time and really ensure that even people who are being discharged from treatment centers, they have given a supportive package since the, most of their supplies could have been uh, decontaminated and destroyed as they were going to the treatment center. So the coordination of the response is very important. That has been a critical uh, aspect of this response. After the 2014 outbreak, many lessons were learned about how to manage the Ebola virus disease. We're going back to Professor Ogoina to tell us more about the impact of the 2014 outbreak and how we can use the lessons learned to avoid future outbreaks. Yes, a number of challenges were faced uh, uh, because of the level of preparedness of the health system. If not that, uh, there was a lot of ownership by the federal and state governments in the response. It would have been difficult because the health system was not necessarily well prepared uh, for the Ebola virus uh, outbreak that occurred, for instance, in Nigeria and indeed other West African countries. One, uh, the port health services were not necessarily prepared and uh, did not have what it took uh, to ensure diagnoses were made at the port level, that's inter during international travel. And that's why the first case escaped or was not recognized at that uh, port, port, portal of entry, which was international health travel and uh, had to present to a private hospital. Uh, the other challenge was that there was the, the isolation facilities were not available at that time to care for the patients. And they had to make a makeshift isolation facility, then subsequently had to uh, um, see how they transform another facility to become an isolation facility. So that was also a challenge. The third challenge was that uh, Healthcare workers at the beginning of the outbreak were not necessarily willing to participate in case management uh, because of fear of infection, uh, the perception that uh, personal protective equipment were not readily available. Uh, but following motivation and communication with healthcare workers and incentivization, 
uh, they were able to mobilize healthcare workers specifically for case management. Of course, we had a number of uh, healthcare workers that were feed epidemiologists that were involved in uh, surveillance. The third challenge was related to the perception, misconception, misconception about uh, Ebola virus disease in West Africa, in Nigeria, to be specific. There are a lot of misconceptions about the disease and how it is transmitted and how it's pre prevented. In fact, what was notorious at that time was people had the false belief that salt and water, salt with water, was a good remedy for Ebola viral disease. And a number of people consumed salt and took their bath with salt. Uh, but what health authorities did was to ensure that they advanced their advocacy as a risk communication and a community mobilization to dispel these myths and uh, misconception and to ensure that people are very aware about how Ebola virus disease is transmitted and how uh, they could uh, prevent it. There are also challenges of lack of resources uh, because the state governments involved, the federal government did not have sufficient resources and this is where we as a country, and I also know that other African countries receive support from partners, international partners, and even private sector players uh, got some support from those uh, private sector uh, players. The other challenge that also happened was the fact that uh, contacts of cases, and that was typical of what happened in uh, the river state in the southern part of Nigeria, contact of cases did not follow instructions of um, isolation or being quarantined because they were supposed to stay at home, self-isolation. And unfortunately, somebody left Lagos to Portacot and exposed close to 528 persons uh, to the disease. Fortunately, only two infections were confirmed and one person unfortunately died uh, in the country. So these are some of the challenges. Of course, there was also the challenge of limited laboratory capacity uh, at that time, there was just one laboratory that had the capacity to uh, do a molecular diagnosis of uh, Ebola virus disease, but the country was able to leverage on that laboratory to ensure that the uh, diagnosis was done in-country. Uh, so these are some of the challenges that were faced uh, by the country and, by extension, other health systems in West Africa uh, during the 2013-2016 uh, Ebola outbreak. Professor, what measures do you think need to be put in place to try and avoid future Ebola outbreaks on the continent? Is there something that is being done or can be done at a continental level? Yeah, so I, I think it's important that as African countries, we must understand our disease better. If you understand our disease better, then we don't work blindly. And the ways to understand our disease better is through surveillance and research. Uh, so we must intensify surveillance efforts to ensure that we are able to diagnose cases early and are able to follow up the contacts of such cases uh, so, such that we prevent chains of transmissions that might occur. Uh, a critical aspect of the surveillance is, which relates to early diagnosis is to ensure that we have the diagnostic capacity because in most cases, what we see with some of this outbreak is that we, because we don't have the sufficient or the needed diagnosis capacity, we are not able to rapidly confirm cases. And so at the time cases are confirmed, there's already, there are already chains of transmissions and perhaps patients have already died. So it's very important that we have rapid diagnostic tests available for African countries such that in the various hospitals and health centers, 
uh, not necessarily in tertiary centers, there will be capacity for us to make a prompt diagnosis and escalate for confirmatory diagnosis. That's, that's very, very important. I think it's also important that we invest in infection prevention and control. Investing to institutionalize infection prevention and control in amongst uh, African hospitals. We are seeing cases of where in the Nigerian outbreak, close to five to six of the 20 persons that were infected and a few of them that died were actually healthcare workers. And the same thing we are seeing playing out in the current outbreak that is ongoing in Uganda and even in DRC and other outbreaks that have occurred in the West Africa and East African region. And so the healthcare setting should be prioritized uh, to ensure that we protect our healthcare workers uh, with knowledge, needed knowledge and skills to protect themselves and also ensure that we provide sufficient quantities of uh, personal protective equipment because that's always a recurring challenge when we have outbreaks. Personal protective equipment are not always available to care for, for cases that has to be done. It's also important about invest in research. Uh, the area of research that is important is to ensure that we develop therapeutics and vaccines because ultimately the, the chain of transmission that results in disease is not all situations that we'll be able to stop that break that chain. A number of people will develop uh, infection and even develop severe disease. So we must invest in therapeutics and, of course, vaccines. We, we know that currently there, are, there, are there is a vaccine that is available for the Zaire strain, but not for the Sudan uh, strain. And there are therapeutics that have been undergone uh, clinical trials, uh, mon many monoclonal antibodies. Uh, but we must invest more in research to uncover most of the, uh, many more of uh, therapeutics that will be useful. Uh, for uh, the management of cases. And the last is the investment in uh, health security. It's important that uh, African countries invest in health security and human resources that is required to, to address outbreak. So we're talking about financial and human resources because if the, there's no funding is not sufficient, uh, it be becomes very difficult to address or meet most of these things I've stated before now. And if we don't have the expertise with the adequate commitment and motivation uh, to ensure that they deliver on the objectives that have been set out, then it becomes difficult for us to make any progress. That's all from our South African Science Focus today. If you want to find out more, head to the SciDevNet website. That's www.scidev.net. Today's show was produced by Alice Hurst with reporting by Michael Kaloki and editing and hosting by Ogechi Ekeanyao. Until next time, goodbye. Africa Science Focus is produced by SciDevNet and distributed in association with your local radio station. 